For the last few Sundays, if you've been with us, we've been making our way through our One Another series. In it, we explored some of the ways we ought to treat each other within the church. We considered some of the demands of Scripture as it pertains to our relationship with those who are part of the family of God. We're reminded that the world will know of our identity as Jesus' disciples in the way we love each other. So what does it mean for us to love one another? What does it look like? Well, it looks a lot like being able to disagree with one another, but not consuming each other in the process. It looks like us not judging each other, not giving in to the cover-up culture or the cancel culture, but instead dealing with each other biblically. And in moments of offense where we're hurt by a brother or sister within the body of Christ, we respond as Christ did to us, forgiving and restoring one another. Today we come to a close in our One Another series. And for a moment, I'd like for us to think about this. How are you and I called to live in a time where it seems like everyone is divided about everything in culture today? Every four years or so in this country, we find ourselves dividing up into camps. We have the Democrats and the Republicans and the Libertarians and, the, and honestly, the rest of us who just want to watch a YouTube video in peace without having to watch another political ad. And on top of that, we're divided on everything about masks and the coronavirus and our response to it, the economy and how we're all faring and all of that. Now, being divided on these things and having different opini opinions is perfectly fine. But what we ought to watch out for is the end product of it all. A few days ago, I was at the grocery store uh, in the produce section, and uh, I, along with almost everyone else, we had our masks on. Now, suddenly, we heard the noise, and you may know what I'm talking about. We turned around, and there is a young kid with her mom who walked in and she didn't have a mask on. She suddenly coughed and if you were in that room, every eye was on this child. People were not pleased that this child coughed without her mask on. The tension was palpable, the looks were harsh. Suddenly, this, ch this child became an enemy and became, caused people to fear for themselves. Looking around the room, I realized how consumed with fear we've become. You see, when we're divided about something, we become fearful about the other person. Or at times, we start to dislike each other or even hate each other when they're not on our side. They're either with us or against us. And as much as it is, it is the condition of our culture today, sadly, it's a reality within our churches as well. So how do you and I live in moments where it seems like we're divided even within the church? How do you and I maintain our unity in Christ in the face of differing views and leanings? How do we resist the enemy who tries to capitalize on our differences, take advantage of us? And, and how do you and I combat this fear and the hatred of the other? Well, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Peter is writing to a church that's persecuted and, and, they're, and they're facing all sorts of challenges. And he looks at them, he l- acknowledges their persecutions, acknowledges their challenges, and reminds them that this was to be expected because the end of all things was at hand. Peter's writing, writing this a couple thousand years ago to, uh, to this church, but he might as well be writing to us because if we look around, it feels like the end is at hand. To them, Peter's writing that they are to live with this end in mind. He encourages them with the two things. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Even in the face of a brother or sister sinning against you or hurting you, love them anyway. This is a reactive love. And then there's the proactive love. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, when I mentioned the word hospitality, you may have had some images that popped into your mind. Maybe it's people like Martha Stewart or Ina Garten and the elaborate displays and spreads they, ha- they put out when they're having guests over. Or maybe it's the hotel that was hospita- hospitable to you or the vacation where you just got incredible service. Or a restaurant that served you a wonderful meal, but it was a service that, really, that you really enjoyed. You see, while all of these are ways to think about hospitality, and they're great, I don't think that's what Peter had in mind. Hospitality here, as Peter uses, is the work philosenos. Philosenos, which translates the love of the foreigner. Hospitality, according to scripture, is simply the love of the stranger. Hospitality is a constant and consistent theme throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, you see the, uh, God commanding the Hebrews who came out of Egypt. He commands them in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 34, and this is what he says. You shall treat the, you shall tre- you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you too were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In the Old and in the New Testament, there's this constant reminder after reminder for a, pe- for a people that are hospitable to the others. And the early church caught on to that c- concept as well. In the context of Peter's letter, the churches met at homes, and they typically didn't have a physical church building that they met in. In these home churches, the, be- uh, the believers were confronted with the challenge of receiving ignorant preachers. These are the people who would travel from place to place proclaiming and preaching the gospel. But as they did, they also needed places to stay the night or however long they were in town. There were no hotels during this time, and the inns that existed were not the most appropriate places for Christ's followers. So people would open up their homes to these preachers. The hosts would not know them, may not even know the preacher, but they would invite them to stay with them anyway. In those times, there were no schedules that travelers kept that told you exactly what time they would come. Sometimes they would show up in the middle of the night knocking on your front door. And as Christ's followers, they would invite them in, offer them a meal, refresh them, and let them rest. It goes without saying that without hospitality in those Christian homes, the spread of the faith would have been so much more difficult. You see, this is what Peter has in mind when he says, be hospitable. Be hospitable to those who may be strangers among you. 
And he continues it. He says, show hospitality with a qualifier. Show, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, the demands of hospitality in the early Christian church were frequent and heavy, possibly causing some, causing some hard feelings. Showing hospitality often required a level of sacrifice to provide for the needs of others, and so many people were unwilling to do it. Because of this hesitancy, there was some grumbling against those who felt as if they were the only ones sacrificing to provide for the needs of others. To the church, Peter writes, if you're going to show hospitality, do it out, not out of obligation or with grumbling or complaining. Do it willingly and cheerfully. What he's saying is you can have the right action, but the wrong attitude. You can do all the right stuff, but your heart is not in it. Peter's saying be hospitable. Do it without grumbling. Do it without complaining. See, Christian hospitality has very little to do with pre presentation. It's not about impressing your guests or putting forward your best. It's not about entertaining. While there is benefit to that, true hospitality is a practice of receiving and interacting with people in a generous way. Hospitality in involves meeting the basic needs of guests and strangers as you're led by the Holy Spirit. So you, we ought to see opportunities to show hospitality as a privilege since it's a command and a form of service from Christ. See, being hospitable is an intentional act that requires an intentional sacrifice. Whether it's resources, time, or effort, hospitality comes with a cost. Unlike being nice, which takes little to no effort, hospitality requires interacting and embracing those who are not like us. Being hospitable is sometimes a messy process. It means loving those you may have disagreements with. It may mean people take advantage of you. It may mean that you get overwhelmed at times. It may mean that you sacrifice for your family so that you can show love to someone else. A few Thanksgivings ago, a story went viral about a grandmother named Wanda Dench. She had texted her grandson, inviting him over for Thanksgiving dinner. What Wanda did not realize that her grandson no longer had that number, and instead of her grandson, the text went to 17-year-old Jamal Hinton. To which Jamal replied, saying, I don't think you're gra my grandma, but can I still get a plate? Wanda Dent responded, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. Later on, when, and when he was interviewed about, about this encounter after Thanksgiving, Jamal said, I'm thankful. She welcomed me into her house, sh so that shows me how great a person she is. You see, when we think about the challenges in our world today, the presence of coronavirus or the natural disasters our country has experienced or the stability of the economy, and these are things that are important. These are big, but one, would, one could make the argument that there is a bigger challenge, and that is one of lovelessness and loneliness. It's incredible the number of people who feel unloved and uncared for. This is unbelievably common in the world and unfortunately within the church. This should never be the case. When we have Christ followers around, how is it possible that anyone would feel unloved? You see, each of us are the recipients of God's love and his hospitality. And when God loves us, he loves us liberally and without measure. And, and if he pours out his love into us in an unlimited capacity, then we have no excuse not to love those around us the same way. 
No one in our circle should ever feel love-starved because he keeps pouring his love into our hearts. If the church is being the church, Christians are constantly saying like wanted Dench, of course you're welcome here. Of course I'll be your friend. That's what Christians do. In the face of our differences, our hospitality draws us together. In the middle of our disagreements and our differences, it's easy for us to view the other as less than ourselves. It's tempting to view them as outsiders. People who have a similar outlook or a view often become their own clique, leaving those who disagree as outsiders and even within the family of God. Instead of treating each other with respect and grace, this leads to fights and disputes which only drives the people of God further apart. See, when we build up walls and isolate ourselves from others, we tend to fear them. We fear what we do not know. So what is the response to fear in the church? The antidote to our fear of others is our hospitality to one another. Let me say that again. The antidote to our fear of the other is our hospitality to one another. See, we're called to replace fear of the other with love for the other. It's hard to fear those whom we love. When we show care for each other in our disagreements, we treat each other as Christ treated us. Christian hospitality is the outflow of an inward reality. All through scriptures, we see a God who loves and is hospitable to his creation. God is hospitable. It's in his nature. In him, we find love and care and sustenance and freedom and forgiveness. The psalmist describes him as the father, or, uh, father of orphans, the protector of widows, who gives the desolate a home and leads the prisoner in prosperity. We are recipients of this hospitality. Our salvation is a result of the hospitality shown to us. Jesus' death on the cross is God's ultimate display of his hospitality towards us. We were strangers and enemies, yet God sent his son to die for us. Christ died for every person. And through him, he redeems his immeasurable worth within us. And Christ recognizes it through his sacrifice for us. That is our reality. And because God sees the worth in all people, we're called to see everyone as God sees them. We should see every single person as someone Christ has died for and who is welcome into God's family. Hospitality is wh what it looks like when we live out this truth. When we do this, when we welcome the stranger as one of our own, even if we disagree with their beliefs and lifestyle, our fundamental job as believers is to align ourselves with truth but also live out this reality. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, it had kitchens and dinner tables. Look at the New Testament church and you see how hospitality became the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place was the home. The gospel spread through this hospitality of its people. The love of Christ is translated into the language of the stranger through friendship and listening and opening up of homes. Christianity grew as a result of the hospitable nature of its believers. Most of Christianity grew in cultures where Christians were the minority. They lived in empires that were hostile to them, and they lived and operated within systems that did not align with, that they did not align with or agree with. 
but yet they flourished by sharing meal together with strangers. They opened their homes, broke bread together. So we're called to love God and to love our neighbors. While it is easy to proclaim that we do the first, it is really the practice of the latter that shows our true devotion. Hospitality has always played a key part in the spreading of the gospel. Not only does it spread the gospel, when we are hospitable to one another, we're hospitable to God. You see, Jesus reminds us that the love that we show each other is shown to him. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, this is what he writes. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, uh, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. At Mount Hope, we are so blessed to have many cultures and races and backgrounds and professions and ages represented. Anytime you have a group as diverse as this, the question is often asked, can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? How do we maintain unity when so much diversity exists? How do we know who's on the inside and who's on the outside? How do we invite the outsider in to become an insider? You see, anytime there's a group so varied, there is a fear and an apprehension of the other. So the question is, how do we get rid of the fear of the other and live as one? The answer to these is found in, in our hospitality to, to each other. The antidote to our fear of each other is our hospitality to one another. See, before we can be hospitable to each other, we need a heart change. When we hear sermons in a series like this, the temptation is to tell ourselves that we're going to do better and think better. However, hospitality is not just a state of mind, but it's a condition of our heart. And so if we're going to have lasting change, it first begins with the heart that is surrendered to God. If you and I are not going to surrender our hearts to his demand, all else is futile. As you go into your week, find the others in your life. Find them in your church. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. I know during this time with, with coronavirus and with all the restrictions that we have and, and with the fears that we have, it looks different. But there is something holy about inviting people in to our homes. Something holy happens around a dinner table that never happens in a sanctuary. You see, in a church auditorium, you see the back of people's heads. Around the table, you see the expression on their faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Max Cleta puts it this way. Church services are on, on the clock. Around the table, there's time to talk. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that uh, the, the words hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message. 
you matter to me and to God. You think, you may think you're saying, come over for a visit, but what your guess hears is, I am worth the effort. As I said before, it looks different during this time, but I encourage you to find creative ways to do this. Invite someone into your life, not as, as you wish it was, but as it is. Share regardless of how much you may have to share. Share the real you. You see, the ultimate purpose of our hospitality is to minister to all those who are around us, as well as those who we encounter moment by moment. Every believer... Every one of us has the gift of hospitality, but not all of us choose to practice it each and every day. Mount Hope's success as a community is based on how well you and I practice hospitality outside the four walls of the church. When you sum it all up, hospitality is God's way of giving us many opportunities to invest in the lives of those around us while we learn more about our identity in Him. Let us be a conduit of God's goodness. The same goodness that came running after us, let us carry it on to others.